Welcome back to the A to 4 podcast. We're getting the hang of this, aren't we? Today's guests, he used to date Carol Vorderman, but he got conscious of his irritable vowel syndrome. Darren Montgomery, how are you doing? And how's Carol? Uh, she doesn't She doesn't speak to us anymore, even though I send her loads of letters. <laughs> <laughs> and he's recently started a band called 999 Megabytes, but he hasn't got a gig yet. Stephen Evans, welcome back. How's your week been? Uh, I, it's not been too bad. Um, I went to do some comedy, but I ended up getting stood up. <laughs> That's a shit. That was shit. I, I can't do them off the rip like Gomez can. So, uh, well, but we'll I am this... good. Yeah. No, good to hear, mate. We'll keep this theme going. I'm, I'm keen to test your kind of bounce back abilities. Um, of you know puns. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, right. Just to kick things off, the the pin barges. I've just seen an email today saying that the, the Wilson and um, Trippier are in transit, so that's fantastic. They'll be with, with us very soon, and you'll see those across our socials and on the website. So um, you can catch us at x at we are HFR, Instagram at we are HFR, and the website uh, Um and you'll see lots of activity in the coming weeks on that, on those two pins. Um, also, kind of a, a call to arms for submissions for issue 14 of HF4. Um, we're about halfway through the edit of that, so if anybody fancies writing um, or illustrating or doing any artwork for this submission, uh, please do let us know at info at wearehf4.com. We'd be pleased to have you on board. Right then, lads, let's kick things off. Uh, for the first item, I'm looking for your biggest football X. Now, the reason that this is fresh in my mind is, I don't know if you've seen it yet, kind of it's doing the rounds on Instagram reels and on Facebook videos and things. It's where the, um, there's like this modern thing where somebody goes on in the streets and asks people questions like, what's your biggest dick? And somebody must ask this girl and she goes, uh, boys are like wrestling, like that. And then the editing on this video is fantastic. So then it, it goes split away, straight away to the rock going, Shut your mouth, jabroni. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> so, in that vein, <laughs> in that vein, Ev, I'll come to you first, mate. Um, what's your biggest football ick? I'm talking kind of like, you know, the, the, the thing that really gets you going, which really uh, annoys you, really, mate. Right. So, I've got two, um, but probably the main one is, let's say you're at a football ground, right? Your team... You know, it's nil-nil. You've been battering them. You get a corner. Last five minutes, your big centre-halves trudge up, right? Your star player takes a corner, hits the first man, <laughs> winds me up. Like, like it, it just does. It's proper, it's a deflating moment. And they're getting paid, what, 70, 80 grand a week? Like, and they can't miss the first man. It, it happens way too often, pisses us off um, and then the centre-halves have to trudge back 60-odd back to where they're meant to be so that just winds us up and the, net, the other one in Al is again a sort of technical one someone takes a penalty and they don't hit the target it's like a goal's kind of big in her like you, you, there's literally you in front of the goalkeeper I, there's pressure but still you get paid X amount of pounds a week. You should be able to hit the target. Fair enough if the keeper saves it. Even if it's a fucking dribbler across the floor, 
he should be able to hit the target from the penalty spot. Like, there's no excuse, absolutely none. No, I, I totally agree, mate. On, on, on that first one, in terms of hitting the, the first man, like you you almost don't mind it as a centre half when you're going up, right? And you've run halfway up the, the pitch in last minute and you're knackered. You don't mind if it's a short corner and it goes wrong because you're trying something different, different, isn't it? Like it's more uh, the whipping in front man out, game over. Yeah, like out for throwing. I submit it's like all right, sound I need, but I'll just jog back to where I was. Aye, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll pop mine in comments just before we we'll, we'll come to you, mate. Um, my biggest annoyance in football at the minute is the obsession with possession. Um. You know, you see it all the time from from pundits, kind of, uh, you know, the, the teams like the Man Cities and the Arsenals who who gather 75 to 80% possession every game. But it's not really like a, a stat that's, um, you can't really dive deep and analyse it, can you? Like, it, how productive has that possession been? Um, I think I've I see, I seen something Paul Scholes was talking about, Jude Bellingham, um, and he was saying kind of, you know, you get these midfielders who think they're great, great footballers because they, they can recycle possession all game. And that's all they do. But he says what's different about Jude Bellingham, and I, and I agree, is that he's um, he's very proactive. He's all he's always looking forward and looking to attack the opposition as opposed to just going sideways and back. Um, it really annoys me when, when teams are obsessed with possession football. It's it's kind of anti-football to me. Um, what about you, Gomez? You got any, any football icks? I have got, well, I've got loads really, but only probably only time for one. So <clears throat> the one that immediately springs to mind is more on the sort of the commentary around football, whether it's commentators, fans, whoever. When, if you watch a first half and a team's like hit the post, or had a few shots and then scored and went in 1-0. And then they're like, oh, well, it could have been 4-0, should have been 4-0. It's like, well, no, because if the first one goes in, the game doesn't happen in exactly the same way for the rest of the half. Like it completely changes the game. So you can't just add goals on because you've hit the post or you've had a shot. So like, oh, we've won 2-0, but we hit the post twice. So it, sh- it should have been four. So like, well, it doesn't work like that. And like sometimes it'll be like you hit the post and then put in the rebounds. Like, oh, we hit the post as well. It's like, I mean, that doesn't count as two though. One Hi. goal that. And it's like... Yeah. There's no acceptance that goals change games and that like it doesn't happen. It's like the butterfly effect. But no, they just like it's just a, like you look back and you add it up. It doesn't work I like get, that. It really I get it on the other on the other hand where it's like your keeper's made an incredible save and you're like, oh, it could have been three nil, but the keeper made a worldie. You know, it's 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 kind of <laughs> it's it's almost in. You know, and the keeper's pulled off a, a terrific save. Yeah, I understand that, but um, aye. Just going back um, to your stew about possession. Does it? Do you feel like if your team wins, like say they've had I don't know seventeen percent possession, but they've won say one nil or two one, does that give you more joy than if your team won two one but had say seventy five percent possession? No, I, I would have the most pleasure if my team had what was what was Newcastle against PSG? It was like I think it ended something twenty five. So it's about efficiency for me. So so I don't care about position uh, possession. I think. This goes back to when Bayern won the Champions League as well. They were very, very efficient. They weren't a possession a possession based team, um, and they, they they had patterns of play that they were able to build up and, and get in positions quickly to score goals. Um, and they, they, it helped that they had rapid wingers as well. Um, but I, the ultimate pleasure for me is if your teams had like thirty percent possession, and you've you've been able to win three 0 You've just efficient, 
you score your chances. I think if you look at that kind of and people snarl at XG, right? They're like, oh, it's just a made up stat, but it's it's quite a a black and white stat, right? Kind of you expected goals in a game. Um yeah, so like possession based football sends us to sleep, to be honest. I prefer teams that are incisive and can um capitalise on opportunities when they present and are, are, are deadly. Um <clears throat> any others mm. before we move on? Just uh, like that possession thing, I do understand, but it's just like it's not just possession, but it's like this overuse of like individual stats as well. Whether it's the team or if people look at a player and go like, "Oh, well, he only passes like the fullback," so like he only he only passes sideways. He only just passes the ball inside. It's like, what's his manager told him to do? Like, yeah. he's doing exactly what his manager has asked. That doesn't mean he's shit. That doesn't mean he can't go for it. It means he's been asked not to. Yeah, I, I think. Like, sorry, I'm sorry. Me. Just, just adding, adding one in because it's. Um, I know me and Gomez had a brief chat about NFL beforehand, and, and this is something that's a proper hot topic there at the minute. Which I don't think it happens too much in football, but I do remember certain instances of it. But um, at the minute, Taylor Swift's gone out with an um, with an, uh, an NFL player, and they're on the TV basically every week. And whenever that certain player makes a big play, they didn't show him the pan straight at the crowd and show her like celebrating and dancing and all that. The commentators keep talking about her. Um, the pregame's always on about her. And I think when I think it's it's happened a couple of times. If there's like a famous celebrity or whatever who's watching the game, like the camera constantly panning to them and they're talking about them and just just focus on the game. Like that's what people are watching for. People aren't really asked about X in the crowd. They just want to watch some football. You know, just. Get on with it. Aye, definitely, hundred percent. I don't know if you've seen the um, David Beckham documentary yet, and it, kind of along those lines when he joined um, LA Galaxy, and it was like the very early stages of the MLS, wasn't it? The, the fields and were crap, and the stadium was crap, and his teammates were crap as well. But kind of um, whenever there was an incident on the field, or whenever whenever Beckham was involved, it was always kind of panning round to Victoria, wasn't it? Like Aye. I think. Landon Donovan was absolutely foaming, wasn't it? Yeah, they uh, fell out and didn't get on at all, did they? Aye, aye. Aye, so plenty of plenty of Vicks. Um, I think another one for me is when um, is when commentators say they've scored too early, or like uh, at the end of the game when it was, it's maybe they've turned the, turned around, it's two one. Say that the, the the team scored too early. Is there such a thing? Like when you were when you were growing up playing football on Sundays and Saturdays, scoring too early. How do you feel about that one? No, I I'm with you on that. I think it's I think it's nonsense. It's like you got yeah, you score when you score. You rather <laughs> score than not. It's not as if you've got any, especially if you're playing against a team who you think might go on to beat you or you're less favoured against. Why is scoring at all an issue? Aye, hundred percent. It's like yeah, uh, it's like it's not your fault. If, well, it is your fault if you score and then decide. Okay, we're going to now sit back for eighty-five minutes. Don't sit back. Yeah, exactly. You can I, manage the game. I like so, so. If you score that goal against a team who's expected to beat you, that team's going to beat you anyways. If you've got that kind of mindset, haven't you? So it's like it doesn't matter if you've scored or not. Um, right. Let's uh, let's move on. Um, it's a good time to talk about it. Kind of, I guess we've got the international break at the moment. Um, a, a brief look back to how. 
the Premier League players have performed so far this season. Um, I'm just after a player each from you guys who's caught your eye, who you think's been doing really well, um, whether surprised or not. But it, it, a player, an individual player that's performing for their team and um, who you think will go on to have a have a good season. Um, Darren, I'll come to you first, mate. Just kind of swapping off from the first from the first item. We might have to. I'm going to have to address this first, and then we might have to come back to me because I know what yours is, but I feel like I need to also say it because when we did the the forward look of the season, I said I wasn't sure how he'd settle in, and he's probably been one of the best players in the league. So I let you talk about how well he's done, but James Madison, and I said that I'd said the thing I was worried about because, I, and I said it then. I don't think he's shit. I didn't think Spurs would settle this quickly. And I didn't think he would settle into that side. And I know he's coming off some injury problems. I just didn't I didn't think he'd hit the ground quite like this. So having said that, he would struggle. Uh, he, he definitely hasn't. But I'll let you pick up the the positives about him. But I'm going to stay with Spurs. I think the other kid that I've quite liked is the centre-half, that Van der Ven or Van der Ven. Scored himself his first goal at the weekend. But he looks he's really tidy, good on the ball, quick, young. Holland are pretty well stacked for centre-half by the looks of things now. Um, and I think part of Spurs' robustness that they haven't quite had, but also like composure, a lot of it comes through him. And I think he's he settled really well. I mean, I don't think he was a fair a fair fee, like 40, 50 million, can't remember, but good old chunk of money. But I, someone I'd not seen before, but yeah, I've been really, really impressed with him. And uh, I also thought his interview was quite funny after the when he scored the winner against Luton. It's like... Watching his watching his goal back and calling himself a striker, I thought he was uh, came across quite well. Aye, there's, there's something about those Dutch centre halves, aren't there? They're, they're all like six foot five brick shit houses, but classy as fuck, aren't they? Like they are able to pass a ball and progress the play through the middle or or switch play to the wings. Like yeah, they've always kind of oh, I kind of feel like they've always been like that when you go back to kind of uh, Frank de Boer as well. You know, kind of a bit of a classy player. Um, I I'll I'll kind of jump back on James Madison for a second. Um, I think just he was the perfect addition for for Spurs, wasn't he? Especially with everything that was going on. So Kane leaving, Son's subsequently being pushed further forward. Um, he's now getting everything through to him in terms of kind of creative chances from from James Madison. Um, but he's such a such an intelligent player. Um, I kind of I'm in two minds, right? Cause I, I can't see him. Or I can't see how he would have fitted in, in the Newcastle team. So I'm not too disappointed that we haven't signed him because I think that would have caused more issues than it than it kind of would have him joining Spurs. Um, but yeah, he's 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 just a phenomenal player. He's, some of the passes he can see um, when he opens up defenses from you know 40 yards away. Uh, he's he's deadly from set players as well. Uh, he's yeah, he's, he's he's the perfect player for Spurs. Um, and I think he'll. I think he's. It's probably going to be like that for the rest of the season. To be honest, I think I can see Spurs doing well, um, especially under under Ange. Um, another one I just wanted to mention before I come to you, Stephen. Um, I mentioned on the on the first, but actually about Anthony Gordon. I kind of felt like I don't get. I, I guess it wasn't a secret, right? He had a good good under twenty one tournament. Um, we had seen snippets of it how how well he was doing. Um, but but what a start of the season for him. Um, Unlucky not to be in the England squad, but but not not a surprise given what we know about Southgate. Um, but he's fundamental to that Newcastle team now. Just full of energy, 
again, he's incisive, left or right, commits defenders, draws fouls, and yeah, you, you don't want to be near him in the box. Um, you wouldn't anyways, or he's just, the slightest touch is going to go down. I think as soon as he starts adding goals as well, um, yeah, he's just a, a really exciting talent. And looking forward to getting him back on the team. Um, hopefully he's, uh, he can put some form together and perhaps get the PFA Young Player of the Year. I'd love to see it. Um, what about you, Stephen? Any any names? Um, I so I mean I agree with all of yours so far. I think they've all been really really good. But I think the one for me, and although he was a big money sign, and I think he's went slightly under the radar as to the job he's doing, is Declan Rice for Arsenal. So I saw a few people talking about you know how well Spurs are doing, and you know I, I, I saw some stat about Romero and Van der Ven, and don't get us wrong, they are doing really really well. But they were saying like, oh, you know, they've got the most interceptions, they've got the most tackles, they've been dribbled past the least and all this. And they compared them to the Arsenal centre-halves and the Arsenal centre-halves had way less tackles, way less interceptions, way less, they basically way less stats. But really, that's down to them having a better defensive midfielder than than Spurs are having, so their defenders are having to do less. Um, I think they, they needed it defensive midfielder because I think at points last season the defence did look a little bit shaky um, and I think he's kind of slotted in there I think he came up with a really important goal against was it Man U where, this, where he scored and won the game in the last minute um, and I think he's just went kind of quietly under the radar as a, as a really really top signing and I know Arsenal fans love him um, and I think he could be with Man City's little wobble Arsenal seemed pretty strong and he could be the kind of next piece to push them to the title. Um, and then I think the other one um, is that Diaby for Villa. Um, I know that a few clubs are linked to him. He was quite a hefty price tag, but he looks rapid. Um, he seems to be linking up well with Watkins in the midfield and that so far. And um, I think Villa are a bit sort of dark horses for maybe a, a fourth or fifth place finish. Got quite an easy fixture list coming up over the next six, seven weeks, so they could definitely cement themselves in the top six. Um, and I think he's he's added a different element to that game, which they didn't have last year. Because I, I think they were quite reliant on Watkins last year, um, but he's definitely coming and taking a bit of burden off him. Um, so I, I think those two are kind of two top top signings, which will do really well as the season goes on. Great, great shouts indeed. Um, just just back back the race, mate. Um, do you think it has as big of an impact as is Rodri being out the Man City team if Rice gets injured? Do you think it kind of is is of that importance to this team? Um, I don't maybe think so at the minute um, because he's not like a yes he's doing really well but it's only been what seven or eight games so yes he's doing well but I think if you took him out you could. That, that still function all right without him, whereas Rodri's been a mainstay for like what three years, four years even maybe. Um, he's he is the most important player on that team, whereas I think Arsenal's is it's probably maybe him, Odegaard, or Saka. So I think yeah, like I think Man City miss Rodri more than I think Arsenal would miss Rice, but that's not to say Rice isn't isn't really important and doing a great job. 100%. There is also Saliba in that list as well. Like, yes, definitely. He's, he's, the re- he's not the reason they didn't win the league, but their dip in form at the end of last season coincided with Saliba being out. But I think the point you made as well about 
the stats for the Arsenal centre-halves versus the Tottenham ones, but Rice giving the protection is exactly why I personally, and you were saying as well, Ev, you get annoyed about these stats because in isolation, you can make them look something that they're not because you need to apply that additional context about what other, how the team's functioning, what other players are doing, what the manager's asked. Uh, yeah, and Rice does offer that protection. Um, maybe not loads of time to talk about it, but I think Schlobberslai, which is definitely not how you pronounce it, is the is one of the other big signings to flag again a lot of money but huge impact and a right foot yeah. like a traction engine. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's just dead energetic as well. Whenever I've watched him, he's always like he gets to the eighty fifth, ninetieth minute, he's still buzzing around, he's still tracking back and I think like yes, he's got a load of talent, but the way to win fans over, which as the Castle fans we love this, is when you see a player like run his arse off basically. Um, that goes a long way to, to show that they care and that they actually want to play for the badge and all that. So, definitely, completely agree with that. I, I think it, when I've when I've read up, kind of the Liverpool fans are loving them, aren't they? The, there's something about one of those low drives, isn't it? That kind of slowly rises. It's um, it's an underrated technique, but it uh, it looks beautiful when it comes off, and more often than not, ends up in the top corner. I, I think. Uh, have you I heard agree about these, um, Have you heard about his little feet? Because he's, I don't know, like six, six foot, six foot two, but he's got like size seven feet or something. And apparently, <laughs> like, it helps him control the ball better. I Maybe do that. another section in a couple of weeks about football as a tiny feet. That needs some research. I, I, I kind of feel like that's an item to come because I, I've got one <laughs> spewing in, in my mind now where I don't know if it was Badger or someone like that, but his. Maybe it wasn't bad, Joe. Let's let's come back to this item. But but if essentially the the, the dad made them wear like size two sizes too small in order to be to have more control of the ball. Um, but yeah, let's let's dig that out and do it as an item on its own. I think it's it's worth it. I would say. Um, probably a good lead into the next subject. Um, obviously in the last pod we, we were talking about kind of the the tracksuit manager in football boots and, and down here alluded to the fact you you would wear a tracksuit because you couldn't not wear a couple of mondials and um and obviously we had the the woman on the bus with our blue predators on as well um, <laughs> um so it got us thinking lads what's what's been your favorite pair of football boots i guess you can go two ways here ones that you've owned and wore yourself or ones you've seen another player wear that you that you that you love that it's got that's got that iconic feel to it um Darren, I'll come to you first mate um favorite pair of football boots well, I mean, the punchline probably is a couple of Monday Owls. Had them for years to the point that they were just falling apart in the end. I had to, had to chuck them, but absolutely loved them. Kangaroo leather. Don't know if that's, don't know if that's superior to uh, cow leather or any <laughs> other leather. Don't know if there are any other leathers, but you know, that, that certainly helps, or at least it's a selling point. Um, I don't know. There's a pro- there's probably a wider discussion on like black boots versus fancy coloured boots. Where I have like a slight preference for black boots, but I don't feel overly strongly about it. Early Predators, I had the first pair, and I was I was a big fan. But that was before they had the folio over tongue, and I think the folio over tongue did give them a bit of a, a bit more gravitas, a bit more style. Um, but yeah, an, an early pair of boots that I had that I really liked, um, which. I, 
don't think they don't think they won very much anymore. Was that Alan Shearer Umbros? Speciales. Aye, and they were a, they were a lovely pair of boots. And then I'm going to give a, a mention now because I've currently got a pair of Diodoras, but they're not the the Baggio or Keen black and fluorescent green ones. But they were a, they were a lovely pair of boots as well. Hark back to them. Yeah, therefore, therefore I'll, I'll pass over to you, Stephen. What's um give us your, your run back on the on the boots, mate? So I think my like favorite boots I've ever owned was um, it was back to probably about two thousand and six ish. So obviously before then, you know, it didn't work. So my my parents had to buy our boots and that, and you know, they were never like exactly what you wanted, were they? Um, and you know. There was always like a proper nice expensive version, then like a version like a little lower, like with half the price that looked the same, but was a bad. You can't really explain it. They were just a little bit shitter, really. Um, so I would always get them ones. Um, but when I turned 16, I started working. And I remember it was about because I turned the 16 in the August and then the October time, bought my first pair of boots ready for the winter, got some nice studs. And I got uh, the Adidas F50s, the black and the blue ones. I don't know if you can remember them. Um, but I thought they were just unreal. Um, proper loved them. Took care of them like they were my own child. Cleaned them every time I played. Made sure <laughs> I got like, made sure they were like polished and shiny and all that. Um, so I, they were like my little babies at the time. Um, and then I think my feet grew and I grew out of them. And then they were out of fashion. So Devas. Um, but I, I think I'll echo kind of what Monty said. I think my favorite boot sort of when I was younger was the the, the predator with like the the larger stripes that Beckham and Zidane wore. They were like my sort of dream boot. Um, and I, I think, well, as I just mentioned, I mean, I got as a snide version. I didn't like them anymore after that. So, <laughs> um, so probably ruined the. Uh, ruined the illusion but they were great boots and I was glad to see I think they the came back out didn't they recently um, or a version of Predator came back out recently but like the whole genre around the Predators around that time sort of late 90s sort of early 2000s was just unreal um, they were the boot that everyone wanted oh, definitely some some great shouts here um, I, I, I think I've got I've got a couple of mentions uh, just kind of the, the, the Copa Mundials have been kind of a big part of my life. I've, I've always kind of wore those um, probably more in my adult, my adult life. But I mentioned to me cousin Anthony who gave us a pair of Mundials in, a, in about 2006 um, and I kept them till about 2018 and they were still wearable, which is just insane. Like that's the kind of the quality of the boot. Um, they felt like a glove, you know, that's what it was like. When I think back to some of the ones I had as a kid, um, I don't know if you remember there was kind of a, a boot release of Teribo West's Nike boots. And they had like a heart-shaped tongue. Um, I had them in middle school and I absolutely loved them. Um, cause I, I loved Teribo West. He was just somebody that looked different and stood out. Um, and then I, I think I mentioned before the podcast there when we were talking about this, but I had a pair of the black, uh, sorry, the red Puma Kings, which were which were rank, right? <laughs> they were like, they were, um, I think Martin Keown. <laughs> Martin Kewan used to wear them. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I think I wore them like twice and then I bend them because they're just oh, they were horrible. You make a mistake when you're younger, don't you? And you're still trying to find what you like. <laughs> um, I think just some honourable mentions to some boots which are which are obviously beautiful and, and iconic. Um 
the ones that Darren mentioned a bit earlier, the Teodora ones, I remember, uh, Baggio, you know, kind of the luminous green uh, stripe and the Teodora, the phenomenal boots, beautiful Italian boot. Um, and then what about Ronaldo's boots, uh, the Nike boots from the 98th World Cup? You obviously got the silver and blue. The only boots that I would entertain of that colour, to be honest. You know when you see kind of the modern boots these days and they're all different colours, aren't they? Not really my bag. Um, but those R9 boots were, were, were something else. And then, I don't know I don't know if you remember, can you remember kind of Rivaldo's black and white Mizuno boots? Like very, very late. Yeah. Just no, no flash football. Yeah, just black Mizuno boots for us to be class. Um, aye, they were pretty special, to be honest. Uh, right. Can you, when, can you remember when Sports Direct first arrived in like major cities? This was like well before Ashley owned Newcastle. It was like when it was like the Donny era, and they must have got like they got like a bulk order of like really low end Umbro boots, but they were like they had about fourteen different colours. Like you just see kids in middle school with like gold boots. Like, it looked like <laughs> they were like, one of them shite pens. Aye. Everything. Um, load of people had those boots and just like a rainbow of colours. Just uh, just touching back to what Gomez said, and I'm going to try and rectify my mistake from the opening intro there. So did those, you know, those boots were kangaroo leather, Monty? Did they give you a good spring in your step? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> there you go. Made up for me mistake. Nice one. Redeemed, redeemed, man. Redeemed. It's only taken half an hour, but there you go. But they had an actual <laughs> kangaroo tongue on the front. <laughs> um, right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, we've got got an interesting item here. It's something we're kind of you talk about in the pub, right? Um, your fantasy football and career. So if you think if you are if you put yourself in a footballer's career scenario where you would like to see your career start and where you would like it to end, you know, whether you'd want to go abroad, whether you, you'd like to, to play the clubs, the clubs that you love. Um, I'll come to you first, Darren. Is it something you've thought about in your own personal time? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not anymore. Uh, usually these days I just think about what I'm having for me tea. But maybe in, in years gone by when I was a starry-eyed, starry-eyed teenager, you know, playing like champ man, would, uh-huh. would think about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly not these days. Uh, I mean, the, the problem with this one is like, we're all obviously going to say Newcastle. So maybe we can have a rule where we just, we take Newcastle out because we all assume that's the case. Um, so the one I, like a few that I'd always, that I'd always think about. Barcelona is like an obvious one. And then I think this was because of like old, Chapman games, like I say, Roma was another. I would always think about Roma. But I think it was because you would usually carve it in threes, wouldn't you? You'd have your like sort of your youth career and your breakthrough, then your your main, like your big move in your book. And then like yeah, your swan song somewhere. Yeah. I think I'd probably split it between uh Roma and Barcelona, I think would be would be the two. Like taking, no, I, as I say, taking Newcastle out of it. No, good. Uh, to be fair, probably top of a lot of people's list. To be honest, um, what, what about you, Stephen? If you kind of that's that's a good criteria, isn't it? Kind of your your starting points, yeah, the bulk of your career, and then your swan song. What um, um, what are you doing? 
do you know what? Like, weirdly, I think I would probably, I think what would give me the most satisfaction when I'm older would be taking, like, a, a more sort of Jamie Vardy route, as in lower leagues, maybe even non-league, and then getting that move to someone, like, you know, sort of League 2, League 1, maybe like a Notts County or a, you know, I don't even know, like a Portsmouth or something when you're sort of your late 20s and then you're banging the goals and then you end up with someone, I don't even know, like a Leeds or something, like like a big like a big club in either the first or the second tier and you're like, you know, you, you, you're sort of banging goals in in your mid to late 30s. Um, I think that would probably give me more satisfaction than than going uh, kind of, as I say, an, an Ajax Academy and all that sort of stuff. I think you've sort of lived your life a little bit, you know what I mean? In your early 20s, you've went out, you've got pissed, you've you've done whatever you need to do, you've went on your lad's holidays and then, you know, <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're still sort of semi-taking it seriously because you're playing at like a, a good non-league standard, whether that be like, you know, like the national league north or something like that so it's still like a decent standard but you you know you, you start finding that love for it again and then you end up kind of in the championship or even the premier league and you're sort of early 30s and you know you're kind of proving everyone wrong that you can't do it you know and you you're showing that you know you're you're showing that like you you I thought, i've lost what i was gonna say you're like repaying the faith that people have shown in you sort of thing, you know what I mean? That they've taken a gamble on you and, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So I I think for me that, that particular story would be more would would be kind of a better memory than if I was just in some youth setup at eighteen and I didn't get to enjoy my life and out like that. So You'd also have no. the added benefit of getting onto one of those FA Cup lists. Do you know when you get a third round tie against a Premier League club and they, they put up the list of jobs that everyone does? Yes. <laughs> yes. Ev works in an egg factory. <laughs> Aye, but he's only like third warning, so he's walking on eggshells at the minute. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, were just like San Marino. They used to do it, didn't they? Where like everyone was an accountant. Aye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what used yeah. you? I, like a similar sort of vein, so I, I was coming from the same angle, really. Um, I think there's more value in kind of a, a career that's been built up from the bottom. Um, do, do we're, all, we're all in agreement that Ollie would be a one club man for North Shields. I think that's his, that would be that would have been his. I feel like he'd probably still want to get to Newcastle, wouldn't he? Uh, he wouldn't oh, make no, a team, no, though. No, he he'd wouldn't make go. a bench and then get to he'd, 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 he'd want to play for Celtic, wouldn't he? Uh, that's true, actually. Uh, West Allotman Celtic, he wouldn't go, would he? <laughs> um, you see, so... like a right flash break there, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, Portsmouth. Thomas is coming up like Dickie De Rossi, being straight in the Roma team. <laughs> no, no bother at all. Um, I like, I, I, I do so, like. I think a youth career in like a, a, a League 3, a League 2 uh, team. I've got a bit of love for Carlisle. Spent a lot of time in my youth going to watch them. Went to, went to see them at Wembley. Uh, kind of a really special ground. Um, spend some time in the lower leagues. You know, learning your trade. Uh, scoring some goals. Turning some heads. Uh, and then and then working your way up. So, obviously, I think my move would be to Newcastle. But let's... Where would it be? Maybe it's to a... Uh, 
maybe it's the Nottingham Forest, let's say, a big old European giant, a um, bit more successful than Stan Collymore, banging more goals. Uh, and then I think the Swan Song would be abroad. I'm kind of torn between like a, a bit of a jaunt to Boca Juniors, but it's out the eye, isn't it? Nobody's really going to give a fuck. Um, so I think, oh, I was going to say Barcelona as well, to be honest, let's, I'll ignore them. Um, Assume now we know that your three favourite teams on live score are Newcastle, Barcelona and Fenerbahce. Does that not answer the question? <laughs> uh, to be fair, I'll say it's probably not true, but I'll say Fenerbahce just for me mate, uh, Ari, who's a big Fenerbahce fan. I don't know if he listens though, but I'll tell him that we've said this. <laughs> uh, but I, I would go to Turkey for the money. So I, I would say for Fenerbahce, do absolutely nothing, score a few goals, live on the beach, and then um, and then retire. Yeah, let's say that's what I would do. Bit of a mercenary at the end. <laughs> uh, some some good journeys there. Would any of would any of you retire and then come back like Paul Scholes? Uh, it would depend how me how many knees are holding up. To be honest, um, but. I would come back, but I, I wouldn't play on any, like, you know, them artificial 3G pitches where the little rubber balls, because they would shoot me knees. Um, I think I would want to retire in the MLS. Nice, nice little setup in America there, um, in a in a state that doesn't have any tax. Happy days. Nice, nice. I, I would like to, to think, like, the age of 50, 55, you get rolled out like Zico did when he, when he played for those kind of conference teams in England for, like, one yeah. appearance for about 50 grand or something. Doesn't touch the ball, but it's Zico, you know. Look at Zico on the pitch. Fucking hell. Would you play like soccer raid in that? If you were oh, famous enough. Only if you could like absolutely half Robbie Williams, then I'd be I'd be bang up for it. Like I don't <laughs> I don't think he plays anymore, does he? I don't even know. Probably a bit old now. Um Right. As usual, let's in the last item, let's look at kind of the last predictions from our last pod, because I think we were bang on, really. Um Kind of a cap tilt to Ev about his Arsenal shout. Although you did see a score, you'd see kind of a they were both going to score that didn't. But Arsenal did did win by the by the one goal. What an awful game by by all accounts. It wasn't that exciting. Um, Darren, you were you were bang on with kind of the the lower teams uh, losing and your iceberg analogies coming to the fore. Um, so let's let's look forward to the the fixtures in a week's time. It's kind of a um, yeah, scenario we don't normally find ourselves in. We normally record like hours before the, the fixtures kick off. Um, so let's look forward to the, the narratives in the next uh, round of fixtures. Darren, I'll come to you first, mate. Um, can you see any stories developing? I might stick with me iceberg. Uh, there's a few like really big games, but I'll let you guys cover those. <clears throat> the, the three o'clock kickoffs. There's Bournemouth, Wolves, Brentford, Burnley, Forest, Luton. It's like, I'm not going to make any predictions on who might or might not win those games. But I think we talked about this when we're like, oh, you know, the three relegated, uh, three, the three promoted teams that came up, are they going to go straight back down or who else, who else is in bother? And the, the, there's probably about five or six teams for me that could get taken away. These are the games that those teams really need to win. Like, that's how they're going to stay up. Like, you're struggling to see the teams down the bottom, like, picking up points off, like, the top six, and they've struggled so far. But So, I think this is, like, 
this is where it may, where it's made uh, where it's make or break for them. Brentford, I mentioned last week again. As much as I don't think they've got, they'll go down, that's a that was a crushing result for them last week, losing that to Man United without some big players. Luton, their home form hasn't really like transpired how we thought it might, but maybe maybe playing yeah. away suits them more than more than we thought. Uh, and who's here on Bournemouth Wolves is as massive Wolves. Wolves less so. They're picking up points, but Bournemouth are in like real bother. So that's that's a huge game for them. So I think that like that group of teams at the bottom where they really need to win each other. I think that's quite a big weekend for them. Is it? Is a potential gap? Is a potential gap opens up? Um, but as I say, it's quite an interesting weekend because there's actually some really big games as well. So I let you guys pick up the sort of the stand the standout fixtures. Yeah, definitely. I'll come to you, Ev. Um... Just talk us through some from some stories you can see coming through. Me bother. So just just some of that 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 was on my mind when I was going through today's fixtures. Granted, there's no Premier League, but what I was very very surprised at is that um, in League Two today, Wrexham are playing Salford, which is it's not on the TV. So I, I, I thought that basically Sky would have creamed in the pants at the thought of Wrexham v Salford on an international weekend when there's no other Premier League football on. Um, because obviously you've got like the famous owners of Rexford, uh, Wrexham, sorry, and you've got like Gary Neville of, you know, the, the owner of Salford. So I thought they would have wanted like, you know, like a, an interview with like Gary Neville and Ryan Reynolds basically, which would have went, which to be fair, I would be interested in seeing. Um, but I, uh, anyways, which totally contradicts me, me ache earlier of saying that I hate seeing the celebrities and just focus on the football. So I've just, <laughs> you know, totally, totally messed that up. But anyways, moving on. Um, I think one thing I've seen over the last 24 hours, maybe the last 48 is, uh, Liverpool fans kicking off again. Shock horror, um, about them being flexed into the half 12 kickoff. So the play in Everton. Um, and it's the third time, I think, in a row where after an international break, they've been made the half 12 game, um, which I, it's a bit shit, but, you know, it's only, what, two and a half hours from three o'clock. Um, so it's not the end of the world. But to be fair, they do have quite a lot of, you know, South South American internationals. They've got Alisson, they've got Luis Diaz, they've got Nunes. Um, so... I don't think it's 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 definitely not a conspiracy. I think Liverpool Everton is a game that should be on TV and that people want to watch. Um, and it's the downfalls of them not playing on the Tuesday night in the Champions League. You know what I mean? So that's why they've been moved into that early bit. But there's there's definitely not a conspiracy. Um, but you know, it is a bit shit for them. Um, and after I, I mean, I'm would love to sit sit here and give you like a weird prediction, but I do think Liverpool will comfortably win that game two three nil. Um, although Everton are a funny team, they got beat off home. They they, they got beat by uh, Luton at home, and then the smash bomber three out. So you don't really know what to expect from Everton at the minute. No, it's a, it's a fair shout. Um, some some really interesting games this um, the next next round, isn't it? I'm looking at that Wolves Bournemouth game, right? And I think just just to kind of touch on what you were saying, Darren, like Wolves seem to be hitting a little bit of form. I think I think Gary O'Neill's going to be like really motivated to go back to Bournemouth, isn't he, and win? Like that's going to be massive for him. I it is. It's it's a it's a like it's a really interesting bit of context around the game that I didn't that I didn't actually add. Um, 
interesting to know how the Bournemouth fans think about it now that they've got this new manager in who came with a lot of potential, but it hasn't, uh, you know, it hasn't borne out so far and whether they think the club were right or wrong with the O'Neill thing, but it's definitely going to be, definitely going to be motivated. And, you know, Wolves were, Wolves were tipped to be near the bottom, but they definitely find a bit of form. Wang's one of the top scorers. He's scoring a lot of goals and Neto looks like the player he was a couple of years ago. It seems like he's passed those, passed those injuries. So I think Wolves will be favourite for that game, but it's definitely an extra bit of, extra bit of spice in it. No, definitely. I think uh, Gary O'Neill's definitely passes the passion test, doesn't he? He's like, I think he refused to, to shake um, Emery's hand uh, last weekend. He's he's a bit of a feisty one, isn't he? Is a is a manager. Um, just just before, uh, just to go back to, to Wrexham there. I don't know if you've seen it. There was a a tweet that Football on TNT put out. Um, it was a couple of days ago. It was a, a map from the from the Wrexham documentary. Did you see it? It was like. They were trying to show teams from different locations and <laughs> the headlight. So they've they've got Blythe kind of where Blythe is, right? But next to it, like it looks as though it's maybe it's an hour down the road, it's Brentford. And then <laughs> they've got like they've got Everton and Wales. It pretty much like looks like a local derby between the between them and Wrexham, because Wrexham's that close to where Everton is. Then they've got like what else have they got? They've got um there we've got, they've got, uh, I'll post the picture rather than dragging this one out, but um, it's an interesting one. It looks like they've got a kid to do that, maybe he's on social media. Or... Uh, well, um, I've I've watched quite a lot of the documentary and obviously it's kind of aimed at American fans. So who, you know, may not really watch football too much. So every time they kind of say something like in, in the very first episodes, it's like, Oh, this is Phil Parkinson. He's our head coach, and then they'll put a big graphic on the screen explaining what a head coach is. So <laughs> there's like there's a lot of stuff like that. So I think um, I, I reckon someone's just whacked a load of club emblems on a on a map and not really understood kind of what the crack was, um, and just whacked it out. So I um, it is funny, but. You know, they are getting a decent audience and a decent following from abroad, so something seems to be working. Uh, it, it very much looks like one of those, you know, when you, you have to create a slide in your, in your PowerPoint presentation, you've got to put loads of company logos on. And some of them are like really terribly. You know, some of them are on PNGs and some of them are JPEGs and they cross over each other, and you're like, who's done this? Uh, <laughs> very much is like that. Um, couple of couple of things I think I can see sticking out to you is obviously a really interesting game. On the Saturday, three o'clock, Man City versus Brighton. Um, I can see so Man City if they lose that, that's kind of the, the third domestic defeat in a row, kind of unheard of. I think uh, when they when they lost last weekend, that's the first time that that's happened for for a long time. Um, should be a really interesting game. I don't know if Rodri's back, back though. Um, do we know if he's got long term injury? No, he was suspended. Suspended. I think he's back though. He played for Spain, um, didn't he, in the week against Scotland. So he is, he is back, aye. Because so one, of his, massive, one of his three games was a Colin Cup game. Ah, OK. So, so that's massive. I think that makes a massive difference. Um, but I can see I can see Man City winning that one. Um, and then I, I, the Newcastle Palace game is really interesting, right? It kind of feels like a, kind of feels like a must-win for Newcastle if we want to continue the momentum um, and kind of get, get back to the, the kind of form that we've seen last season. Um, home game three o'clock. 
everyone will be thirsty for the for to, to watch the team again. Um, I think we could probably put in a good performance and, and, and get some goals on the board there. So I'll, I think I'm going to go with maybe three nil. Um, always nil nil when we play Palace. So yeah, yeah. it's always nil nil. Really good defensive record this year as well. So they, they are going to be tough to break down. I it, so this is a, this is a thing, right? I kind of when we were playing when Newcastle played. Well, I don't want to turn this into Strawberry Corner, but um, when Newcastle were playing Burnley the other day, I kind of had the same thought. Even though Burn, Burn, uh, Burnley's a different team now, I kind of thought we're going to struggle to uh, break them down. Um, and I, don't, I think we've we've been better this season at breaking teams down. We've I kind of think it's went under the radar a little bit, but Sandro Tonali's movement enables kind of defenses to be unlocked as well. Um, and the addition of Anthony Gordon as well. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I think, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go hopeful. I'm gonna say that we'll beat them two three nil. Um, do you want to throw in any score predictions before we wrap up? I think we haven't talked about it, but the Arsenal Chelsea game comes at a really interesting point for both the sides because Arsenal have just had that massive win against Man City, and Chelsea just starting to find a couple of points. So it's a bit of a test for both. It's like, can Arsenal sustain or have Chelsea found a bit of rhythm? And obviously with it being a derby as well, like an extra extra bit of spice in there. So I think that'll be, I think there might be more goals in that one than there were in, in the Arsenal-Man City game, like, which is maybe an obvious thing to say given there was one goal. But I, think, <laughs> I think there will be goals in that game. But um, fancy, fancy Arsenal, but I think it'll be like, I think I fancy it at 3-2 or something there. Yeah, no, good show. I think just just want to mention, and this just kind of goes back to kind of your champ man, like you were saying there, um, a bit earlier. Do you know the the fixture Aston Villa West Ham? I've always hated that. Too much claret and blue. Like I just, I don't like it. It's a, uh, it, it's it's poor on the eyes. Let's say. Um, sweet. Okay, guys. Well, I really appreciate your time this this uh, this episode. Um, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, until the next time. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Take care.